0: Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We're currently studying in the book of James, faith that works. For more information, go to our website, edenworshipcenter.com.
1: We got back a little after 10 o'clock last night from just a wonderful week away with Janice's family. I wanted to tell you about the, the most glorious testimony, though. This was the second year in a row that we were so blessed um, to be in, in church at uh, Grace Christian Assembly, where Alan Asbury is the, the worship leader. Alan's been here several times, and, and again, this year, his pastor's father from Fort Myers, Florida, was there to speak. As it turned out, last Sunday was their, their big Sunday morning dedication for their building, and it, it was just a glorious time. And... We worshiped and it was just uh, glorious and as the pastor from Florida shared there was something I, I just wrote down we serve a God of miracles and the greatest miracle is the miracle that he does in the lives of people and it's so easy for us to write off people and say oh that's hopeless they'll never come to faith they are such ungodly people How many of you have ever heard of Mao Zedong? Mao Zedong, who ruled China with an iron fist, responsible probably for more murders than Hitler and Stalin combined. And yet, several weeks ago, the grandson of Mao Zedong spoke at First Assembly of God in Fort Myers, Florida, declaring the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? Yes. Amen. It's so easy for us to make decisions. You know, you know, God says to Samuel the prophet, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And how many times have we heard teenagers say, well, why do people judge me for the way I dress? Some of us said that back in the last century when we were teenagers. Why do they judge us? Well, I'll tell you why. God says all that man has to go by it was the, is the outward appearance. So if people judge you based on your outward appearance, cut them a little slack, even though they're wrong about you. God knows your heart. They're just doing what God says they're going to do. They can't do anything else but judge one outward appearance. And yet so often, isn't it amazing how we make judgments? Uh... There's very few things, I think, that anger us more than the appearance of judgmentalism or favoritism. If a teacher or if a coach shows favoritism or partiality, people are upset right now. It's not fair. I found this great little picture for you. No one likes favoritism unless you're the one being favored. And you know, nothing will undermine a church's ministry more than showing partiality. How we treat people, how we treat each other, will make us or break us as a church. Favoritism, showing partiality, can be deadly. If you have your Bible, open your Bible with me to James chapter 1. We're actually going to pick up with where you left off last week. Chapter 1, verse 26. Would you stand together with me as we give honor to God's word? And we're going to read down through verse 7. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this man's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, Oh, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Or you sit at my feet. Have you not made a distinction among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which we are called? Lord, thank you for your word. Would you open our our minds, open our ears, open our hearts? Holy Spirit, speak to us. Apply this word to our lives, that it might take root within us so that we are changed. I ask you, Lord, to bless the word of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. Let them be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Let nothing bitter or critical come forth from this well today, but let it be sweet water as becomes the Holy Spirit. For you are my strength and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. The passage beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2 really has to be understood in the context of the previous two verses. You see, for us as Christians, there is no room for favoritism or partiality, and I'll use those words somewhat interchangeably this morning. There's just no room for that based on personal appearance, based on financial status or social status. We can't do it. I so often think about the story that is told of a young Indian man, not North American Indian, but from the nation of India, who was searching for spiritual truth, and he was very interested in Christianity, so he decides to attend uh, this Christian church on a Sunday morning. As he enters the sanctuary, he was stopped by a couple of ushers. Guess what they said to him? We don't allow your kind in here. And the man was turned away. And as a result, he turned away from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turned his back on Christianity. You know who that man was? Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi is the one who brought the British Empire to its knees through nonviolent resistance. It was a man that was hungry for God and spiritual truth and spiritual reality and he goes to a church but because of the color of his skin and his ethnicity he's turned away. What would have happened if the ushers would have welcomed him? What might have happened had that congregation embraced him and brought him in and he responded to the, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? What might have happened? How might India have been changed from what it is today? I shudder to think. Of what those ushers will have to face because of their bigotry, favoritism, and partiality. I think of that, that story so often. That's why so often you'll hear me saying thank you to our ushers. They greet you at the door. They give you a bulletin and hopefully they welcomed you. Hopefully they didn't try to chase you out. I think of the story of Gandhi. A man lost to the gospel because of a couple of church ushers. A nation lost to the gospel because of a couple of church Ushers. Oh God help us, help us, help us, help us, help us. Came across this story. It was entitled Put Your Little Hand in Mine. True story. Happened one hundred and twenty six miles from here in Chicago. Little orphan boy, he was living in Chicago, he lived on the streets. He heard that Dwight L. Moody was going to be preaching across town that evening. So you know what he did? He started out. Started to walk across town. Grabbed an apple to eat on the way. Hopefully he didn't steal it. Walked through the streets, avoided the gutters. Finally, as the sun was setting, he arrives at the church. The lights are on. Everything looks welcoming and warm inside. He walks up the big steps, and a tall man said to him, Where are you going? The boy said, I've come to hear D.L. Moody. I've walked all across town to get here. tall man said, You're not going inside. You're too dirty and smelly. And he pushed the boy back. Determined, the boy walked around the church to to see if he could find a way in. If there there was a door that was open or, or a window, but the windows were too high and the doors were locked. And he circled the building and he just couldn't get in. Finally, he comes back. And he sits on the steps and he begins to cry. A carriage pulled up. A man in a tall beaver hat and dark coat stepped out and walked up the stairs and he said, Little boy, what's the matter? And the boy said, I've walked all the way across town to hear D.L. Moody. And the tall man said, I was too dirty. The man in the beaver hat extends his hand to the little boy and says, Put your little hand in mine. And together they walked up the steps. The doors of the church flew open. The little boy and D.L. Moody walked to the front of the church. True story. And the boy sat on the front row, took off his coat. Moody stepped behind the pulpit to speak. You know what, folks? All of us come to Jesus dirty and smelly. But when we call on his name, the doors of heaven are thrown open wide for us. And all we have to do is enter in and live in the light of his love. You know, there, there's so many scriptures that speak to this issue of partiality and favoritism. That was interesting, Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 16. Moses is giving instructions to the judges. This was a part of their, their judicial system. And, and he said, I charge you judges, uh, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously, between a man and his brother or an alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment you shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone for judgment. The judgment is God's. And the cases that are too hard for you, bring them to me and I will hear them. When God established the judicial system for Israel, part of the requirement was there was to be no partiality. I love the symbol of justice as she holds the scales. And if you look at one of those pictures, and I failed to get one for you, you will notice that justice is blindfolded. Because justice is to be blind. I love what Romans chapter 2 and verse 11 says. Paul says it's therefore God shows no partiality. And aren't you glad this morning that God doesn't show partiality? Aren't you glad that he opens his, his heart and his arms to all of us like that dirty, smelly kid who lived on the streets of Chicago? We live on the streets of this world, the streets of society. We think we are so sophisticated, so righteous, and so holy I thought this morning as we sang, we were singing, Holy, 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 all the saints adore you. We sang, Lord, show us your glory. You know what I was thinking? If he really did, every one of us would be on our face. It's interesting to me that when you read the book of Revelation, John, who is having this great revelation, Every time he sees the Lord, he's he's fallen down, he's on his face. Even before the angels, he's falling down and they're saying, Get up, I'm just an angel. Oh, if our eyes were really opened into the heavenlies, and we saw his glory, we saw his holiness, we would be on our faces. Instead of being saved, satisfied, and petrified, turn to the person next to you and say, you'll get that about Thursday. So amazing how partiality and favoritism can slip into the church so quickly. Galatians chapter 2. It happens there, and Paul talks about how he confronts Peter, and he calls him Cephas there, but he confronts him. And and let me just read it to you. This is from Galatians chapter 2, beginning in, in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Antioch of Syria, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James... He was eating with the Gentiles but when they came he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? I want you to picture what happens Peter is there with with Paul and Barnabas and the others and they are rejoicing and they are worshiping and they're fellowshipping. They're eating with Gentiles who've come believers. But when Jewish Christians come, all of a sudden they pull back. Because they don't want to be judged and they don't want to be criticized. I made a note to myself as I I said, what's the problem? I'm preparing for today, looking at this, what's the problem? Well, it's almost like we're back in high school or junior high with all the drama that goes on there. Oh, my goodness. Teenagers, let me encourage you. You will survive the drama of high school and junior high. Just hold on to one of my favorite Bible verses that says this, and it came to pass. Didn't come to stay. You will get through this. In the time that we have left this morning, I want to share with you five things that really stand out to me about partiality and the challenge that we face with it. Number one, Partiality demonstrates that we're operating from a wrong set of values. Did you you see what what James says there in in verse 3? Because he talks about that. You're not paying attention to the right things. Who are you trying to impress? Impress. I thought of something that generally gets mentioned several times during this Christmas madness and buying things. Who are we trying to impress? We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Oh, if so and so has this, I gotta have that. because I've, I've just gotta I've gotta have a little bit better. I've gotta show that I'm okay. And America is up to their ears in debt because we have to have all of this stuff to impress people. We used to call it keeping up with the Joneses, but since we have Joneses here this morning, we, uh... <laughs> you know, it just shows that we're operating from a totally wrong worldview because we get jealous. We show partiality. We show favoritism because we want to impress people. It's just wrong. There's a second thing. It really is discrimination. Discrimination is wrong. I read somewhere that, that favoritism, partiality, was a characteristic element of Eastern judges. Showing discrimination. You don't have to look very far to see the destructive effects of discrimination. And racism. And let's face it, where we live, for many years the only discrimination I knew of was the Amish and the English. But the prejudice, this community so steeped in prejudice, prejudice. against the blacks I never know what's have you noticed things I struggle with political correctness am I, am I uh, supposed to call them blacks African Americans or I like what I heard one black preacher say of the darker hue <laughs> the prejudice because of the color of someone's skin the prejudice because they're Mexican Folks, we live with it here. And we better take ownership of it, and there's nothing Christian about it. And shame on us for talking about it. And tolerating it. And making jokes about it. I have been guilty. Have you heard the one about... (laughs) I was just seeing if you were staying with me wrong. It's discrimination. James says a third thing here, that that to do this fails to honor the poor whom God honors. Did you see that in verse 5? God has chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Now, let me say something quickly here. Uh, God loves the rich, too. He loves the rich. Just make sure that you are rich in God, that you are richer in God than you are richer in this world's goods. Because let's let's face it, none of us are going to carry any of this out of this world. Everything you own, somebody else will possess. That's kind of a sobering thing because some of my stuff is really precious. I mean, I have my chair from when I was a little boy and I I got it here from Oregon and somebody else is going to get it and you better not throw it out. (laughs) And somewhere in this building... Is a, is a nice old wooden lectern that was in the boys' Sunday school class at Maple Grove Church in Topeka, and they threw it away, and I got it, and you better not throw it away, because it's precious. <laughs> Fortunately, my initials are not carved in the top of that, but there are some others. <laughs> now, I'm making a joke about some of this, because it's hard for us. Teenagers especially. I mean, you've got to have the right kind of tennis shoes. Back in the last century, I was just thankful for shoelaces. And we had those red ball jets. And they cost $10, not what Nikes cost today. That's a whole other subject. You've got to have the right kind of jeans. I mean, it's got to be the right brand. Doesn't look, doesn't care whether they look good or not. It's got to be the right brand. right brand of, of, of shirts. Because we bought into the world system. I'm digressing here. Good. You know, it's interesting. It's often the poor of this world who are rich in their faith when it comes to the things of God. And that was really brought home to me when we were in Asia a number of years ago. Being an Indonesian, and I refer to Indonesia so much, and the Philippines, because um, my heart is, is really there. It blessed me when one of our good friends introduced me to a congregation that I was going to preach in in... Uh, in Asia and he said Pastor Harold has white skin but a brown heart huh? I like that see everything they do takes a miracle I don't know if you think about that here we are in, in beautiful northeast Indiana and, and we talk about faith in God and that we are in God but you know what we can get along pretty good without God you know what we got good jobs, we've got money, we've got warm houses. We don't need anything. But for most of our brothers and sisters around the world, everything they have is a miracle from God. I remember going to this training school and I spoke at this school. You talk about feeling humbled. And feeling convicted. I was humbled and I was convicted because... Let's face it, you and I are thinking, okay, what am I going to have for lunch today? I'm about turkey doubt. I don't want turkey. Do I want Mexican? Are we going to go Chinese? KFC? And here I am with young people, and the question that they faced was, not what will I eat today, but will I eat today? And to be with those young people who were dedicating themselves to God. They were doing a lot of prayer and fasting. One out of spirituality, two out of necessity because there was no food. And yet their level of faith just goes through the ceiling. I'll never forget being in Thailand a number of years ago. And I was with the Korean people, and here were these young people experiencing phenomenal things in God, and they have nothing. And they've gathered around me to pray for my feet, because of pain in my feet. I stood there and I cried as I listened to them pray, and the faith that they walked in. It's good to work hard, we need to pay our bills, we need to have a good financial testimony, but listen folks, wealth is not conducive to spirituality. I'm not saying take a vow of poverty, but I am saying wealth is not conducive to spirituality because you begin to trust in your wealth rather than in God. Where are we here? Partiality, number four, favors those who are actually the ones that are often oppressing. James says in verse 6, it's the same rich people that you're trying to press, impress who are actually oppressing you. Again, I come back to something that I said earlier. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. So we can feel ourselves to be on a status with these people. Last but not least. Partiality is nothing more than sin. We don't like to call it sin because when you call it sin, then you have to repent. So we we try to find our way around it. Well, I I really shouldn't do that. That's not a good thing. No, call it what it is. It's sin. Operating from a wrong worldview. And what happens because of that? All sense of Christian brotherhood suddenly begins to be lost. The example of Jesus is lost. It was Jesus who reached out to the poor of this world. And aren't you glad that he did that for us? It was Jesus who ignored the social prejudices of his day and he extended grace. He extended grace to that social outcast in John 4 where we read about the woman at the well. She was a prostitute. She's coming at noon because of her social status. And yet he reaches out to her in love and her life is transformed. He shows favor to the woman caught in adultery who should have been killed. The tax collector Zacchaeus, social outcast, hated And yet Jesus gives grace and doesn't show partiality. And Zacchaeus' life is transformed. And and he begins to just say things and do things. And Jesus looks at those who are with him. And if I can put it in the Gingrich translation, Jesus says, wow. Today salvation has come to that house. Look at the transformed life. It was Jesus who reaches out to those who are despised. It's Jesus who reaches out to sinners like you and me. I remember hearing a preacher say, You don't love Jesus any more than the person you like the least. That hits home. Who is it we want to identify with? Teenagers, who is it you want to be with? You want to be in the in crowd? If you feel that way, you're not alone. I uh, always enjoy going back and looking at old high school yearbooks. Have you ever noticed in the old high school yearbooks, all the girls' hair is the same? Some of us just wish we had here. The same kind of glasses. Because we're looking for acceptance. And we want to be accepted by the in crowd. And have you noticed the in crowd? They can be such bullies. And if you're a part of the in crowd bully, whether you're a teenager, young adult, Whatever age you are, you need to repent in Jesus' name. It is unchristian. It is ungodly. It's sin. That would have been a good time for somebody to say amen, but it's true. He it doesn't show partiality. Where do we take a message like this? How do we put flesh on it? I believe it starts with us seeing our own unworthiness in the eyes of God. I loved what Annie said this morning. Not her struggle, but even though the struggle is good. And Amy said the same thing. I don't know if you caught it. How could God keep forgiving me again? And again and again and again for the same stupid sins. And yet that's His grace. And you see, when we see ourselves in the light of His glory, His holiness, then we stop comparing ourselves to other people, we look beyond the fancy clothes or the jeans with holes in them. Amazes me. Teenagers today pay good money to buy jeans with holes in them. Come see me after the service. I want to make some money on your foolishness. But Here's the point, and with this I'm going to close. Worship team, come. Folks, when when we see ourselves in the light of his glory and his holiness, we stop comparing ourselves to each other. We stop this madness of trying to be with the in crowd. And We begin to realize that we are all broken people. In various stages of being healed by the grace of God. If God can love and accept me. Then he's going to love and accept you. No matter who you are. No matter where you've been. No matter what you've done. No matter what you look like on the outside. He'll do a work on the inside. And what's glorious is that if I'll just concentrate on encouraging people to open themselves to the Lord, he'll change them on the inside and I don't have to worry about the outside. Let's stand together and pray. If you're like me this morning, one of the things that is come to your mind are times when you showed partiality, when you showed favoritism, when you fell into that trap. If you're like me, you're thinking not only about times you did that, you're seeing faces of people that you did it to. And what we need to do is repent. Lord, Forgive us. Lord, thank you that you love us enough to show us our sin. Lord, thank you for the grace you gave Paul to confront Peter and the grace you gave Peter to receive the correction as he fell into hypocrisy and favoritism and partiality. And and Lord, we don't want that to happen. So God, do a work in us. Lord, I pray that, that as a church, we will, we will become more and more and more and more of a church that opens its arms and embraces the rich, the not so rich, the poor, and the very poor. Because Lord Jesus, that is exactly what you've done. Lord, help us to be like Jesus. And in this coming week, Holy Spirit, make us so keenly aware of what's going on around us, our attitudes towards people. Lord, we can't change other people. All we can do is is deal with ourselves. So make us aware of ourselves. And Father, show us ways To lovingly reach out, to embrace and love and encourage those who feel so rejected, so ostracized and outcast. Lord Jesus, let us be your instruments of love and grace in this coming week. Let us not be like the ushers who turned away Mahatma Gandhi. Because, Lord, we don't know what you're doing in the hearts of people. So let us be instruments of your love and your grace that opens our hearts and arms to embrace people with the love of Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom. For it's in your name I pray. Amen.
0: We're going to close a little bit differently than we normally do. Uh, And I think it is an appropriate response for the church uh, this week by the providence of God to be reading in James as our nation explodes with partiality. And tension, and uh, bringing to the surface things that many in our community uh, were just blissfully unaware that they were even there. And I, I think it is fitting and appropriate that we end um, with reading together a prayer. And our church does not have a long history of reading prayers. Uh, I I love that God calls us to have an active and living relationship with Him, and if I'm talking to my wife. Uh, I want her to know that I'm talking from my heart. And, and that, that's why a lot of our prayers, are, they're just sort of like from the heart in the moment. And yet sometimes there comes a moment, even in a relationship, where things are so important and, and tensions are so high that we say, I have to actually say this right. I'm going to write it down first and read it to you. And it, if I can encourage you, uh, that's, that's what I want us to do here. And I, I would just make a brief call for repentance in the church. Where we have lived. Like that that picture of those birds. We have lived in that place of privilege. And been the recipients of prejudice. In a positive way. And we have absolutely turned a blind eye. To those right among us all the time. Who have struggled with it and struggled with it. And by God's grace. The church should lead the way in Executing racism, putting an end to it once and for all by God's grace because of what Jesus has done for us. So would you join me as we close again in prayer? <laughs> it's a church thing. We just pray a lot, uh, and I, I want to read this with you. But a- as we do, I, I want to make an encouragement to you. So many times uh, we approach things in church as an observer, that we're we're watching what's happening or we're listening to what's happening. Uh, and we've never been commanded in the Scriptures to be observers. We've been commanded to be worshipers, to be participants in what is going on. So would you, as I pray, would you join me in prayer and let your own heart echo back to God these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, in the mess of Ferguson, make your name known. In the division In disappointment, God, make your name sweet. In the rage and reaction, God, make your name a healing balm. Be glorified through the winsome witness of the church in St. Louis and around our nation. Be glorified through the saints of every race and ethnicity as we try to walk together. In more and more the excellent way, God, be glorified, O Father, as the Spirit reveals Jesus Christ and opens your word to the hurting and to the hurtful. Lord, we pray, may your kingdom come. Shine your light of truth wherever there is darkness of injustice and ignorance and misunderstanding. May your reign and rule be evident in our lips as we speak, in our heads as we think, and in our hearts as we feel. Cause truth to triumph over falsehood. Gospel unity over devilish division and affection over apathy. Grant us courage and humility, diligence and rest. And may the sun of righteousness rise with healing in his wings. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us turn from the things of this world, the things that are passing away, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of possessions, and turn to your will so that we might abide forever. May we do your bidding here on earth just as the angels serve and minister as spirits in heaven. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, may these things be cherished and sought after in every white community, and every black community, and every shade in between in the suburbs, in the cities, in the country, in neighborhoods that are overrun by crime, and in every police department overrun by prejudice. May your word be a light to our feet. So we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give comfort to those who are grieving. Give safety to the innocent. Give hope to the hopeless. Give us judges and prosecutors and juries that are fair. Give us good laws, wise procedures, and politicians that are better than we deserve. Be a rock and a refuge for those who are scared and suffering. Help the weak to find their strength in you, and help the strong to see their need. Help the sinners find the only Savior. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As your people, may we never forget all that we have been forgiven. No crime against us is worse than the crimes that we have committed against you. Make us slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Forgive us when we fight with the weapons of this world. Forgive us for not weeping with those who weep. Forgive us for judging with a measure that we do not use to judge ourselves. Forgive us for speaking when we should be silent and for being silent when we should have spoke. Forgive us for being hard-hearted and dim-witted. Forgive us for loving our comfort more than loving our neighbor. Forgive us for being too often indifferent to injustice in our world and unrighteousness in our lives. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help, O Lord. We are tempted to despair We're tempted to cynicism, tempted to bitterness, tempted to give up, tempted to assume the worst about our brothers and sisters, tempted to let commentators and cable news network tell us what is real. We're sorry for the times that we have been unthinking and unfeeling and unsympathetic. We're sorry for the times that we have rushed to judgment. We are sorry for self-righteous, grandstanding, and self-serving stereotypes. Deliver us, God, from these evils of lawlessness, and lovelessness. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. So we say that you are strong and we are weak. You are eternal and we are infinitesimal. You lack for nothing and we need everything. You see all, know all, and can do all. We only see in part, know in part, and we can barely even do our part. Be wisdom in our confusion. Be victory in our struggle and peace in our fear. As we gather at the cross and lay our burdens down, no matter what the pain, no matter what the sadness, no matter what the fog of friendship or the fog of war, every day when morning gilds the sky, may Jesus Christ be praised in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.